First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everybody else. Let's give God a hand clap of praise and thanksgiving here today. He's been so good to me. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He's been so good to me. I cannot tell it all. He has taken my sins away. Now someone give God a shout of praise in this house. God bless you. You may be seated. It's an honor to spend a few moments sharing with you this morning the greatest reason to celebrate in the history of the world. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to try it on this side of the church. The greatest reason to celebrate in the history of the world is that Jesus came out of the tomb. This resurrection of Jesus Christ that was witnessed by about 500 believers is the greatest reason to throw a party in the history of the world. We do not observe Easter. We celebrate Easter. There are events we observe, but we do not observe Easter. We celebrate Easter. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we in our spirit agree with the statement the angel made, he is not here, he has risen. Touch your neighbor, say, he's not here, he has risen. Now, this was not something the disciples had to get used to because Jesus had prophesied this, not just with his three friends, but in the presence of his enemies. This is important to the authenticity of the testimony. Jesus had testified in the presence of his enemies. I am a resurrection and the life. My mic has given me some problems here today. Uh, I don't know why that is, but if y'all will just roll with me, we'll just work with it. I'll put it in my front pocket, all right? So uh, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet, somebody say yet, yet he shall, shall, shall live. Jesus prophesied this in the presence of his enemies. And as surely as the sun rose, the enemies were there for the testimony service that would follow the tragedy. In every one of your lives, there will be tragedy. You need to make sure there's a testimony service to follow. You need a testimony service to follow your tragedy. And this will lead the Apostle Paul as one of the great witnesses of this truth to declare this in Romans chapter 6. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This testimony that followed tragedy and is celebrated by all generations of believers is the central tenet of the Christian faith, and it is what makes Christianity unique among the world religions. 
Paul would say at the end of his letter to the church in Corinth, I received what I passed on to you. And he said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Yes. As of first importance. What is that? That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he rose on the third day according to the scripture. And can some believers say amen? amen. Does anyone want to give God some praise in this house? Uh, I, uh, my favorite gospel is the gospel of John. It is the unique gospel. The other three gospels are known as the synoptic gospels. What they mean by that is they follow the same order and the same outline. However, the Apostle John comes and he does not restate the order of things. He starts with the end at the beginning. And interestingly enough, he includes the beginning and the end. Uh, he starts with, in the beginning was the word. Uh, and then having introduced us to who Jesus is, he doesn't want there to be any confusion about who Jesus is, he starts the story of Jesus, not with a genealogy, but at a party. John thinks it's important that we should start the story at a party. I want to challenge all of you in your life to make sure that you're part of the party. Uh, that was my title today, uh, along with the greatest reason to celebrate in the world and a few other ideas I had. I want to challenge you all to be part of the party because the Apostle John wants to start the story of Jesus at a party. Now, uh, lest you miss the depth and the richness of the Word of God and the genius of the Apostle John, I want to remind you that John is also going to end the story of Jesus at a party. And it's actually more than that. He starts the story of Jesus at a wedding party and he ends the story of Jesus at a wedding party. One of them is John chapter number two. The other of them is Revelations chapter number 19. He starts the story and he ends the story at a wedding party. Now, a wedding is the first, marriage is the first human relationship and arguably it's the hardest one to get right. <laughs> Uh, nobody laughed, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> it is a teaching example that the Lord will use over and over in the Scripture. The apostles will use over and over in the Scripture. And the story in John chapter number 2 is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is at a party and things have not gone well at this party. There are some contemporary writings. Some people think of them as apocryphal writings. These are writings that were not included in the canon of the church. Uh, but in those writings, there is a reference that this actually was the sister of Mary uh, who was hosting this party. And that's why Mary is not just there as a guest, but there she's there as a party planner. All good parties need a party planner. Your family needs a party planner. In my family, the party planner was dad. 
Dad was the one always ready to have a party. Mom was the one who did the organizing of the party. He planned it. She organized it. It takes two. Can I get a witness? Let me tell you something else. This church needs some party planners in this church. Every church needs people who will be the first ones to shout hallelujah. Every church needs people who are the first ones to lift their hands and say, yes, 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 yes. Every church needs some leaders of worship, not just critics of worship. And here, Mary is part of the planning of the wedding. And so when they run out of wine, uh, this creates a problem. Now, uh, most uh, churches, if they come from a certain tradition, have a little bit of an awkward relationship with the uh, miracle of uh, water into wine. Because you've all heard the joke about the preacher, and he's weaving all over the road, and he gets pulled over by the, by the highway patrol. And uh, they ask him what's in that bottle. And uh, he said, that's water, officer. That's water, officer. And the officer's let me smell it. He smells it. He says, uh, sir, that's not, that's not water. And the preacher says, he's done it again. He's done it again. Uh, we've all heard these kind of jokes, you know. Uh, I heard the joke about the Baptist preacher spent a whole message preaching against alcohol. And at the end, he said, I just want to say at the end of my message, I want everybody, to, I wish everybody to take all the alcohol in the world and go down and pour it into the river. And the music director got up behind and led the choir in the song, Let Us All Gather at the River. <laughs> we have this awkward relationship with this miracle because we all know that uh, in, this, uh, re in the real world, um, alcohol, when it is in, uh, it can be a destroyer. Do you see what I'm saying? And the Bible is very clear about how it can be a destroyer and it can be a mocker of people who would otherwise be wise. Um, but I want to point out to you here that this, this, this miracle uh, is intentional. It's not an accident that it is included in the story. And I want to remind you whether the subject is this or the subject is the ugliness of human sin or whether it is the difficulty of human relationships, um, the Lord is not nervous and the Lord is not prissy. Uh, some of us are nervous and prissy. Uh, but the Bible will tell you how the story is told, and sometimes it will make you a little uncomfortable. Um, uh, I don't want to shy away from the realness of our lives, and at the same time, I don't want to act like that things cannot lead to uh, pain, suffering, and despair. But in this story, the water is getting turned into wine. Now, how did this happen? Uh, this party, if you read the commentators, it had been going on for a while. It it was the style and the tradition of the time to have a multi-day party. Uh, it was a celebration that happened more than just one day. We don't know how long this has been going, uh, but it was very common in the time to do this. And at some point, there is this embarrassment that happens. As a host, you don't want to run out of food. And as a party planner, you don't want to run out of wine. Now, if it makes you nervous for me to preach on this, I, I'm not the one who put it in the Bible. 
but if you throw a party, you don't want to run out of wine. You see what I'm saying? It's awkward for everybody when you run out of wine and you're having uh, a party, and so this creates a party embarrassment. You are not hosting people uh, at the level of your uh, intention because you have run out of wine. And the Bible says, when they ran out of wine, verse 3, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I do not want to encourage any sons to refer to their mother as woman. Um, I think you might be introduced to the woman of the flying hand if that were to uh, happen. And when we read this, it sounds disrespectful to us, but it is an accurate translation and it was not disrespectful to them. Why do I say that? When Jesus gives his mother away to the apostle John, he calls her woman. And I promise you at that most tender moment of the pathos, the the suffering of Christ, he was not being snarky. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just a translation thing. Even so, I encourage you to refer to your mother sometime this week as woman and see how that goes uh, for you. He said, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. There is something about faith that in some way activates God even beyond what you had expected to receive from him. I want to point out to you this truth. Every great work of God happens in an atmosphere of expectation. One of the reasons why we sing in a vigorous way and one of the reasons why we clap our hands and raise our voice and one of the, way, one of the reasons why preachers speak in a preaching style, you understand what I'm saying, is because the miraculous always happens in an atmosphere of expectation. And Mary is going to Jesus, and Jesus, as he is growing, the Bible says, in understanding, he could not be in all points tempted like as we are if he did not have to grow in understanding. He speaks to her and says, my hour has not come. And she says to the servants, I love this scripture, whatever he says to you, do it. This is an atmosphere of expectation. How are you doing creating an atmosphere of expectation in the midst of your troubles? How are you doing at creating an atmosphere of divine expectancy when you face the dilemmas of your life? I want to say with the mother of Jesus, whatever Jesus said, that's what we're going to do. Stay with me in the story. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. I want you to remember that. Containing 20 or 30 gallons each, Jesus said, fill them with water. They filled them to the brim. He said, draw some out. Take it to the master of the feast. They took it. The master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. Uh, the water, the servants knew that it had been drawn out of the water and the master of the feast called the bridegroom. This is the one who is hosting 
testing them. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good good wine until now. Now notice verse number 11. The beginning of the signs. The beginning of the signs. This beginning of signs. Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. First they came because they were interested, but they began to believe on him when they saw the works that he did. You see, that's the difference in the 5,000 who follow. They're only interested in the 500. They begin to believe on him, and I'll preach about that some other time. The disciples who are with him, they begin to believe on him. I want to use this story on this day of intentional party mindset in the believer's life. This is the best reason to party in the history of the world. This is the best reason to celebrate in the history of the world. I want to to, uh, give you this context as a party and what Jesus does at a party and how he fixes the awkwardness of our party. And the theme of the lesson for us becomes this. Everyone finds themselves empty before their party is over. All of us come to the end of our reason to celebrate before we come to the end of our years. All of us find ourselves empty before the party is over. You can call it a midlife crisis if you want, but it's more than that. Whatever you thought would give your life meaning of this world, you're going to outlive it. I know you're thinking about it, so I, I, I won't force you to jump up and down at this moment, but I'll get you going here in just a moment. I want you to think about this. Whatever you thought was going to make you happy is going to run out before you come to your end. Yeah. Whatever you thought, whatever some of us thought that it was money, and if we had enough money, then we'd be happy. But if you ever had some money, you found out that having money feels different than you thought it would. Now, I know what some of you are saying. I haven't felt that yet, so come by here, Lord Jesus. Come by here. Can I get a witness in the house? Come by here, dear Lord. Come by here, you greedy sucker. Uh, (laughs) I want to tell you, compared to 90-plus percent of the world, you are rich beyond measure. And so uh, if you think it's money, I'm going to tell you, once you have money, it's not going to feel like you think it feels. You want fame, but then having fame comes with a whole different kind of sorrow. You think if you could just have that boyfriend or that girlfriend, then you would be happy. If you just, if your political party would win, if your sports team would win, if you could meet your hero, then you would be happy. But you come to find out that your capacity to party comes to an end before your party opportunity does. And so my question for you is this. Who or what do you think can make a difference when the wine runs out? 
Who or what do you think can make a difference when the wine runs out? The first lesson of the mother of Jesus is that when the wine runs out, she doesn't run to the market. It's not time. I don't have the years left to start over in a new career. I don't have the years left to start over in a new educational program. What am I going to do when the wine runs out? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let Mary, the mother of Jesus, teach me this example, and I'm going to go tell Jesus that the party is not like it used to be. It's a little bit embarrassing now having so many years in this business to realize that this business was not what I was looking for. It's a little embarrassing after so many years of this career to find out that this career was not what I was looking for. I want to tell you this. Jesus can fulfill you when nothing else can fulfill you. I know it can sound trite, and I know it can sound shallow, but what I'm really trying to say is this. The meaning potential of your life is not going to be solved by what you find within you. It's only going to be solved by what you accept that is beyond you. And hope that life choice, that path of new life represented in Jesus Christ is where the difference is going to be made, and this house is full of people who testify that Jesus makes all things new. The second lesson I can learn from Mary in this party is that she tells the the, the servants, all right, uh, whatever he says to do, I want you to do it. Uh, Everybody can comment on the problem. People, People love to criticize. It makes them feel superior. It lets them be vain and pretend they aren't. Uh, They can pretend like they're just speaking the truth in love, but really they're enjoying being critical. Everybody loves to criticize the party planner, but criticism rarely solves the problem. Have you noticed that? Uh, Here is the mother of Jesus saying, all right, uh, this is my faith. This is my statement of faith. Whatever Jesus says you ought to do, I want you to make a commitment to me that you're going to do it. Whatever he says to do. And then what does Mary do? Oh, hallelujah. I want you to watch this. I want you to see this. Once you put your faith in Jesus and then you get everybody on board to do whatever he said, you need to step away from the problem. Oh, I could preach on this a little while because some of y'all have learned how to complain and some of y'all have learned how the party's not good enough and you've learned how to tell everybody else how to do, but you haven't learned how to leave it with God. What does Mary do after she says whatever he says we're going to do it? She stepped away from the problem and said, I'm going to watch what Jesus is going to do now. Let me speak into the trouble of your life right now and let me say this to you. I'm looking to see what Jesus is going to do with this in your life because out of trouble, he brings testimony and out of pain, he brings healing. Oh, is there any apostolics in the house here today? Is someone ready to step away from God the problem and say, I'm ready for you to do it, God? Here's the third lesson. Then she 
Jesus, uh, she tells him, uh, the, the servants, whatever he says do, do it. And then what do they do? They actually do what they're asked to do. Um, and he tells them to go fill these uh, water basins with water. What does that mean? That means they, they have to go and they have to draw the water in a container that's smaller than the basin they're trying to fill. And then they have to carry the water and they have to fill the basins. These basins are not small. Uh, the limit of what you can pull out of a well, if you look at traditional times, these things usually would be less than five gallons because that's, that's a pretty heavy uh, thing to lift with uh, just simply a rope. Less than five gallons and they're filling something that can hold 20 or 30 gallons. Assume that these were uh, half empty because they've been used in the ceremonial cleansing uh, for the feast that has gone on and this is now being filled with water. It represents a fair amount of work and here is part of the lesson. Whatever he says, you've got to do. I've come to tell somebody, you need to get involved. This is the third lesson I'd like you to see here in the scripture. You need to get involved. Are you ready for this? I don't know if you could handle this. And I, I need to ask you to be ready to say amen because your spirit may not be ready to say amen, but I need you to say amen so I'll feel good about what I'm preaching here today, okay? Can we have a team where you get ready to say amen? I'm going to say it, and I want you to say amen and then think about it. Are you ready? Jesus won't carry your water. Why? That's something you can do. God's not in the business of letting you be lazy. Jesus can turn the water into wine, but he won't carry your water. He'll tell you, go get the water and put it here and see if you're ready to see what he can do. You're not ready to see what he can do if you won't even do what you can do. I wish you could receive that in your spirit. I wish you could not get mad at me about it. I wish you could be prayerful about it and say, God, open to my eyes to the difference I can make. Open my eyes to the difference I can make. Open my eyes to the prayers I can pray. Open my eyes to the faith I can have. Open my eyes to the ministry I can do. Don't let me sit back and just look heavenward and say, you do it, you do it, you do it. What can I do? Now, let me point out something to you I have never preached. I've never heard it preached. I'm sure it's been preached. I'm, I know there's nothing new under the sun, but I've never heard it preached this way before. I have never, I have missed it somehow every single time, the fourth lesson, and I, I want to give it to you today because one of my goals as a communicator is make scriptures you've heard, uh, make them live uh, so that you can find, as it were, this fresh in the Word of God because I every time I go to the Word of God, I am struck anew and afresh by the, the depth of it and the beauty of it. Uh, but this is the thing that is just amazing to me is that these basins are not just there for no reason. Uh, they are there for people to wash in. And so let me say it this way. God uses dirty water. smile at your neighbor. Say, that part was for you. <laughs> 
in the history of the world, no one is excited about taking a bath in a bathtub that's already been used. I felt, a, I felt a revulsion just spring up in this part of the church right here. I felt someone say, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Just that fast. It happened right, it happened right there. Nobody's excited about, about using a dishwater that someone else has already used. We're so finicky, we won't even drink after each other. I do, but I don't care. But, you know, y'all COVID nervous people like my wife, y'all would never do such a nasty thing in your life. Um, but I, I'm not fancy, so you have to pray for me. And um, the point being, and I can hear my wife right now. It's not about being fancy. Uh, <laughs> fancy has nothing to do with it. Did I, did I get you right over here? Uh, y'all, I got to quit picking on my wife so much. Anyway, moving along. So um, uh, what Jesus has to work with is dirty water. Let me tell you a truth about this church. You know what Jesus has to work with? Dirty water. Jesus works with dirty water. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. Jesus, surely you don't want to use dirty water. I, don't, I wouldn't go to that church. They have hypocrites there. Yeah, that's why you should try it. You'll fit right in. I wouldn't go to that church because they got, they've got judgmental people over there. Well, listen to you. Do you not own a mirror? I mean, for the love of God already. You understand what I'm saying? I wouldn't go to that church because there's they've already been that's 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 dishwater over there. Yes, exactly. Look at your hands. Jesus said, you know what? Here's the story of grace. I will work with what I've got. Everybody who came to this place washed their hands in this ceremonial water. It's okay. <laughs> I will work with what I've got. The story of grace is Jesus works with what he has got. And he says, there's water. I'm going to add some more water. I'm going to add some clean water to the dirty water. And when I am done adding clean water, oh, hallelujah, to dirty water, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be wine for this celebration. And they're going to taste it, and they're going to say there's a mystery here. What we could do with our best was not as good as what God could do with our worst. God could do better with our wastewater than we could do with our wine. And this is the story of grace. This is the central truth of the gospel. Jesus took the dirty water of our lives uh, and he took it to Calvary. And he uh, added the clean water of his right lived life and his righteousness. And you know what he did? He led captivity captive. You know what he did? He washed our sins away. And that, if that's all there was to celebrate, that would be reason enough. But he did something more than just take our sins away. He did something more than just take our sins away. This is something else I've never preached. 
and I was able to find this week, and I'm so excited all week. I just wanted to tell you about it all week long. I almost called some of you just to tell you because I know y'all like good preaching. Um, and so um, here is the second thing. We celebrate wine as part of the uh, Lord's Supper. We celebrate wine as part of the Lord's Supper. It's part of the symbolic remembrance of the sacrament of Christ's righteous covering for our for our sin. Remember, John starts the story at a wedding. They run out of wine. Jesus takes some dirty water. And when he's done, it's the best wine you have ever tasted. And then when we remember the Lord's Supper, he gives us wine in remembrance of what he has done. But he doesn't just wash our sins away. He also, as you know, comes out from that place of uh, being, as it were, in the tomb and being in death. And he comes out of that that, that place, and he comes out with victory over death. Now, uh, there is a prophecy in Isaiah uh, that I've, I've, never, I've never associated with the uh, miracle of water into wine, but Isaiah 25, verse number 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and a feast of well-aged wine of rich food full of morrow and of aged wine well refined. It is the prophecy that Jesus would make fulfill a feast for our partaking and we through his work would receive a a supper of his victory and it involves uh, the bread and it involves the wine. Now watch this. The next verse. He will swallow up this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples. What is the covering that is cast over all peoples? There's only one covering that is cast over all people who have ever lived, and that is the death shroud with which they cover you at the end of your life. They cover you at the end with a death shroud. And Jesus is not just going to turn your dirty water into wine. He is going to remove the covering that is cast over all people. And Isaiah said, yes, he's going to provide a feast of well-aged wine. And he's going to swallow up this mountain, the covering that is cast over all people. He's not just coming back with a lot of good wine. He's not just the one who turns dirty water into wine. He is coming to remove the shroud of death. John, remember, who starts with the story that happens at Cana at the wedding feast, and he ends with the wedding feast in the New Jerusalem. He connects it all in the middle when he tells the story of a son who was brought back to life. Chapter number four, verse number 46. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee. And then John's worried you're not going to make the connection. So he says, he came again to 
Cana in Galilee where what? Where he had made the water into wine. And there at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And Jesus said to this official, go, your son will live. Jesus is going to turn the dirtiness of our sin, our flawed life, into the best wine of spiritual completion and meaning that we could ever imagine. The meaning God will give you is better than the career could ever give you. The meaning that God can give you is greater than having money in the bank and insurance on call. You see what I'm saying? This is eternal meaning. And so I want you to see this truth. The best reason to party in the history of the world is the story of grace and the story of resurrection. The story of grace and the story of resurrection. And because of what Christ has done in you, there any number of other things could happen to you. And if you're a person of faith, you can keep it all in right perspective. Why? Because there's a new name written down in glory. I said there's a new name. Stand with me all across the house as our musicians come right now. Jesus is going to come to your life. And when you run out of meaning, if you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm ready to do whatever you say I will do, you will find out that there is a joy in serving God that is beyond anything else in your life. And I want to challenge you today to put God first. I want to challenge every one of you today to quit serving idols. This is a very New Testament, not just an Old Testament thing to say. Nothing is going to give you meaning like a relationship with an eternal God. Nothing is going to fulfill you like a relationship with an eternal God. I've come to challenge you here today. It's not necessarily according to uh, something that 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 you you. Uh, what I'm trying to say is this: is you might have you might have a preconceived idea of what your next spiritual step is, and uh, because because you are holding on to that and you're not willing to do that, you think there's nothing between here and there. And I want to challenge you on that here today. And I want to say if you'll turn your heart toward Jesus in any way, if you'll turn your heart toward him in any way, I promise you, he is standing at the door and he is knocking. He is trying to make a connection with you. And yes, we celebrate on Easter. And yes, it's primarily a a service of celebration. But before I do that, I want to challenge every one of you who will receive this challenge in your heart and in your life. Don't close the heart door to the conviction of God. Don't turn away from the conviction of God. You know you're not where you need to be. I'm not being ugly to you. I'm doing what all good preachers should do. You know you're not where you need to be. I want to challenge you to turn your heart toward God. The things of this world are never going to really make you happy. They're going to entertain. Entertainment's not happiness. Entertainment's a different kind of thing. Entertainment's short term. It tickles your funny bone, but it doesn't teach you how to sleep in a storm. But the contentment that God gives, gives you peace in the midst of your trouble. Amen. 
Lord Jesus, you see all of our hearts and lives here today. We're hungry to know you, oh God. We're hungry to serve you with our hearts and our lives. We're hungry to commit ourselves to you today. Lord, I'm praying for the person here today who right now they feel a drawing and they're thinking to themselves they need to do better. They need to turn away from the distractions of this life, Lord. I'm praying uh, your assistance to them, God. I know you will not decide for them. I know you will not force them. But Lord Jesus, if there's any way for them to see through the deception in their life and see the truth of the gospel, I'm praying whatever it takes for them to see through the deception of Satan's lie in their life, I pray that would happen in their heart, oh God. If there's some uh, circumstance that can happen that will awaken them to the temptation of living as a child of the lie and being deceived by that, Lord, I pray the greatest gift upon them would be to see through uh, the temporary solution of what this world has to offer and the meaninglessness of carnal fun and the purposelessness of carnal possessions. I pray, oh God, they would see through that lie. They would see through that deception and they would say, Lord, I, I, I may not even know where to start, but here today I'm trying to turn my heart toward you. I'm going to make time for you this week. I'm going to, I'm going to set some quiet time aside. I'm going to reflect on eternal things. I'm going to find some praise and worship music and let it speak hope into my life. I'm going to open the word of the Lord. I'm going to connect with somebody who I know is a person of faith. Lord, I'm not going to keep trying to walk this way alone. Oh, God, help every one of us to see through the deception, Lord. And uh, it's not just deception that keeps us from where we need to be. All of us, no matter how long we're serving you, we can become prisoners of vanity, oh, God. And vanity limits our ability to perceive you. Vanity limits our ability to humble ourselves and receive the, the blood that flows through the body of Christ. And we lose our connection with the body of Christ because we, we self-isolate, Lord Jesus. And uh, vanity keeps us from making ourselves vulnerable. Therefore, we practice neither confession nor com spiritual community. And because we have no community and we have no confession, when we fall alone, there's no one who is able to pick us back up and have faith on our behalf because we've self-isolated, Lord Jesus. And we don't understand how vanity and envy, envy destroy us. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm praying today you would help every one of us, no matter how long we've been serving God, to see through the lie of vanity in our heart and be connected one to another. And Lord Jesus, finally, I'm praying you would help us to stop being so impressed with our difficulties and start being more impressed with your promises, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, some of us have gotten way too comfortable and way too impressed with the difficulties in our life. And we're so impressed with what we're facing that we've forgotten that our problems are small things to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I'm praying right now, Lord, there would be an awakening in all the people here today. And they would say, I'm going to quit giving glory to my problems. And I'm going to start giving glory to God. I'm going to stop magnifying my difficulty. I'm going to start magnifying my Redeemer. In Jesus' name right now. I'm going to ask all of you who would right now as our worship team leads us into prayer and worship. I'm going to ask you to linger in the presence of the Lord for a little while. If you have a specific need, I'd like to pray for you. Step out of your chair. Come down to the front. Stand in the aisle. Uh, we'll look as a pastoral team to pray with you. Um, if you'd like to stand in the stead of someone, this is a big deal. This is underused. Uh, this is part of the ministry of intercession where we stand in the stead of someone. If you have a loved one that's very, very ill and you'd like to stand.
stand in their stead. I'd like you to believe that the Bible teaches us to anoint in the name of Jesus and join your faith with others. We're going to go into our altar time right now. Don't rush away. If you do need to go, that's fine. Thank you for worshiping with us. But if you would linger for a little while, let's call upon the name of the Lord in this house and let's believe him to work among us today in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.